It's now time for the Billy C Show. Part of the BillyCBoxing.com network. And we're coming to you live from the Billy C Studios in Lake George, New York. I'm Bill Caligero, and it's time for the Billy C Show. Good morning, good day, good evening, whenever you're watching, whenever you're listening. I hope you're doing okay today. Today's show, well, she's being brought to us uh, by my book, Tom Molino, From Bondage to Baddest Man on the Planet. It's available right now where all good books are sold. You can get a copy right now, right now, while you're watching this show, Amazon.com or BarnesandNoble.com. All right, uh, Alex Papali is going to be joining me here uh, in a couple of minutes. We're uh, one of my favorite, uh, one of my favorite, and also uh, one of the listeners and viewers' favorites over the years. A segment called "Blast from the Past," and when we were doing our show daily, uh, we did it at least once a week, and uh, we got a lot of feedback. We covered, uh, uh, you know, all quality fighters from you know back in the bare knuckle times all the way up uh, until. Uh, you know, the 60s and even 80s. Um, but uh, today, we're going to talk about one of my favorite fighters of all time, and that's Sonny Liston. Uh, Sonny Liston, I, I, I mean, this photo of Sonny Liston is is one of my favorites. Um, I actually have uh, this photo. It, it shows uh, the full uh, uh, card table um, on my wall. Uh, and uh, I, if you look at this photo... I mean, you know, the intention on his face, you could tell, is he's just a bad intentions kind of a guy. And, um, you know, I, he was a mean guy. I mean, there was no question about it. Uh, mean, mean individual. Um, this was a guy that uh, um, destroyed people, destroyed people uh, in, in the ring. I have a, um, a video here I'll show you real quick. Um, and this one was... Um, uh, a fight that uh, uh, he fought against McMurray. Uh, this was in 1968. This was when he was coming back after he had lost um, to uh, to Ali, and um, he was on his way back. And uh, well, um, he fought. Uh, uh, I'm sorry, he fought uh, Whitehurst in 1958. I, I'm going to show you the McMurray fight a little bit later, but uh, this clip I'm going to show you now is on his rise in 1958 many say he was in his prime and he, and he was fighting against uh whitehurst and uh check this out uh this is uh the kind of power uh, and devastating punching power that this cat had i mean you know even in slow motion when he connects with him i, I mean you can see uh whitehurst just I, I mean he's out falling behind uh falling through the ropes um I, you know he I loved him. He had a great jab. Uh, he had a career record of 50 wins, four losses, 39 of his wins coming by knockout. Uh, and uh, of his four losses, uh, he was stopped uh, three times. Um, when he was on his rise, and Alex is going to go through this a little bit later. When he was on his rise, uh, he was one of the most feared fighters uh, in, in the sport of boxing. As a matter of fact, uh, the late, great Herb Goldman uh, said that uh, when Sonny Liston was in his prime between 1958, and I just showed you that knockout uh, over Whitehurst, uh, and 1963, he was actually the most feared fighter in the professional sport uh, of boxing. 
um, it was interesting to see uh, a writer. His name was uh, Gilbert Rogan. Um, he uh, wrote about his style uh, after uh, one of his defining fights, actually, it was over Zoro Foley. Uh, and he said that Liston wasn't quick with his hand or with his footwork. He relied too much on his ability to uh, take a punch and that uh, he could be vulnerable to an opponent with more ha hand speed. But he can be hit, he writes. There's power in both of his hands, even though his fists move uh, with uh, the languor of a monitoring royalty or as if it's passing through a gaseous envelope uh, more dense than air. Basically, he's saying he, he thought he was slow. Um, and uh, it was interesting to see and listen to him write. Now, this was before the Ali fight. Interesting to see that uh, he was uh, predicting that a, a fighter uh, that could come along with uh, superior hand speed uh, could uh, do some damage, and as we all saw, uh, that was uh, Muhammad Ali. Um, but more importantly, two uh, former um, power punchers in the heavyweight division, two of the most powerful uh, punchers uh, in the heavyweight division, uh, George Foreman said that uh, when he sparred, because he sparred Liston, he said um, that Liston's jab was the most formidable he had ever faced and, and Sonny Liston was the strongest man he encountered in the ring. Uh, he said that uh, Liston had most natural, the most natural talent and skill that he uh, had ever seen. Uh, and that's from George Foreman, a guy who sparred him. Uh, and then with, uh, you know, if you look at uh, Muhammad Ali, the guy who beat him, you know, he was quoted uh, in 1975 uh, when asked about uh, his opinion on Sonny Liston's talents. And this is from Muhammad Ali, the guy that beat him. He said, Liston had a tremendous jab, could punch with either hand, and he was extremely smart in the ring, and he was as strong as any heavyweight I've ever seen. He also said um, in his uh, autobiography that in his prime, the only two heavyweights who would have caused him serious trouble were Ezra Charles and a young Sonny Liston. Now, it was interesting for him to emphasize that because a lot was made about Sonny Liston's age, which uh, honestly, uh, they say they never really knew. Nobody really knew. Um, he claims he was born uh, on May 8th in 1932. Uh, another uh, um, uh, founding was uh, that his actual birthday was uh, July 27th. Uh, I'm sorry, 22nd, 1930. The thing was, was that the town in Arkansas that they were born, they didn't legally have to keep birth records, so there was no record of Sonny Liston anywhere. Um, rumor had it that when he was born, they carved his name and the date into a tree, uh, and obviously uh, uh, the tree's not there uh, any uh, anymore. So um, it's always been an issue about his age, um, my man Rick says, was, was there ever any actual proof that Liston put linoleum's gloves against Cassius Clay? Um, I, I don't believe there was, but we're going to have a guest coming on here in a little later. Maybe we can ask him that. Um, but, uh, uh, yeah, I, so anyway, well, that's a whole other story. I, I'm just getting into uh, right now about uh, Sonny Liston. Now, he did fight in the amateurs. Um, a lot of people may not even know that but he did um it got him out of jail one time and uh he fought only 10 amateur fights 
with a record of nine wins and one loss. And, and uh, he turned pro to start making some money. His uh, first fight was in 1953, September 2nd, uh, with a first-round stoppage over Don Smith, who actually had a decent record considering it was uh, Sonny Liston's pro debut. He was 3-1 and one going into this fight when uh, Sonny Liston was uh, making his pro debut. Um, you know, uh, Sonny Liston, uh, the last time ESPN had a uh, list of the hardest punchers or hitters is the, what the actual list says. Um, the, uh, the top three uh, were uh, George Foreman, Mike Tyson, and Sonny Liston, and uh, ESPN ranked Liston number two. And ironically enough, the famed boxing trainer, and I had just recently found out that the, the gym was, had uh, closed. Uh, last time I was in Vegas, Johnny Taco's uh, gym was still open. Um, but uh, Johnny Taco, who was a trainer, uh, he worked with George Foreman, with Mike Tyson, and with Sonny Liston. And he was quoted as saying that uh, Sonny Liston uh, was uh, the hardest puncher uh, of those three. One thing that's interesting about um, Sonny Liston, uh, you know, was his last fight. You know, his last fight, um, now remember, he, he was on his way back um, after uh, uh, he had lost. He, he, uh, he was 14-0, and 14 fights in three years, 13 of them coming by knockout, getting his uh, career back on track. And then he suffered a, a, a devastating, shocking uh, knockout loss uh, in 1969 at the hands of Leotis Martin. Um, but, uh, but he would come back again. And uh, he was still a, a top-ranked fighter. And he fought in 1970 uh, on, on June 29th. He fought Chuck Wepner in uh, Jersey City. And uh, Chuck Wepner, I don't know if you've seen any photos. I don't, I don't have any photos of, uh, of this particular fight. But uh, that I can post right now like I did with the videos before but uh, he took one of the most savage beatings of his career and later Chuck Wepner would say that there was no one that realistically could have beaten uh, Sonny Liston uh, during that time and there's always been talk about the fights uh, with uh, Muhammad Ali uh, specifically the second one with the phantom punch um, but um, a guest that we're going to have on a little bit later uh, wrote a book about it, and uh, it's actually uh, right here. Um, this is the book, and uh, the title of the book is Sonny Liston, The Real Story Behind the Ali and Liston Fights. The author, Paul uh, Gallander, and he'll be joining us uh, a little bit later uh, on the show. And uh, speaking about joining us, uh, right now uh, I'm joined with... Uh, my man, Alex Papali. What's up, Alex? Good evening, Billy C. How are you? Oh, I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I, 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 warmed, I warmed up the audience for you. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you. Okay, I'm sorry. I just I, I had to plug in. I, hey, so I was showing. Was almost be, dead. Almost be, dead. Before we, uh, before we, we, we get into it, I, I wanted to show um, my favorite photo. I showed in the beginning of the show. My favorite photo of Sonny Liston. Right there. I mean, uh, um, I, this photo, I think, says it all about Sonny Liston. What do you think? That's great. Yeah, that's a really good shot. It's kind of there's a sadness to it, but it's um, there's a yeah, scariness to it, too. I looked oh, yeah, in his eyes. Scary. Yeah. Yeah. You know, but uh, I was showing uh, 
some video clips before, but we can get into that uh, in a little bit. But uh, Sonny Liston, a blast from the past. Take it away, Alex Papali. All right. Well, uh, so Sonny Liston was born. Uh, nobody. One of the things uh, Bert Randolph Sugar has said um, is no one knows the day he was born or the day he died. Um, That's true. They kind of ballpark it because um, they cut the tree down. <laughs> yeah. And that was part of it was that um, he was born. I mean, when a lot of times we talk, use that phrase that this guy came from nothing. Well, Sonny Liston, it, it can it is just resoundingly true. He grew up in uh, extremely rural um, Arkansas, uh, very much, um, very poor, uh, incredibly poor. And um, his father was a brutal man. He's one of 24 children, one mother, uh, two, two mom. It was, uh, one, his father had uh, children with two different women. One had 23, the other had two. Uh, so he was one of 25. And uh, like I said, he was born around 1930, although the Ring magazine at one point, uh, maybe this has changed, at one point uh, they ballparked his date of birth as May 8th, 1932. I, I, um, I had, I, and I talked about that earlier, That that's what I think he was telling people. He told people that? Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. I think that's what he would tell people. Um, but somewhere that other date in 1930 kind of emerges as the real one. I don't know how, but anyway, go ahead. Well, and yeah, because like you said, uh, the record keeping uh, was done. Uh, they carved his birthday on a tree. Um, that's how rural uh, we're talking about. His dad was a sharecropper. They lived out in the woods. And um, so, you know, he was not born in a hospital. He was probably... Um, you know, I, I actually, you know, just having uh, Italian immigrant relatives, I had a, a grandfather was born on the kitchen table, but um, and he and they, they made him start making meatballs the minute he came he out. <laughs> his mom started making the macaroni. I know. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, <laughs> um, but uh, so yeah, they you know would I guess every now and then once you know and they would drive to the county seat or get out you know take uh, whatever uh, carriage back in those days I would assume or walk. Um, they had very little to eat, very little to wear, um, and that's when they would announce the births. You know they go to the county seat and report it. So keeping the record would have been putting it on that tree, and at some point the tree was cut down. So. The actual date might have been lost, um, but um, his father was a brutal man. Just really didn't didn't get a lot of love um, from his father at all, and he described his own mother as helpless. Um, he, uh, by the age of eighteen, he had been convicted of six muggings, and um, you know had done some time. Uh, really had you know, reputation as a, just a brutal person himself. Um, he worked for corporations, for businesses as a, a union buster. Uh, he'd bust up strike. Uh, he'd go into picket lines and um, beat up striking workers on the behest of the companies, you know, didn't want, um, didn't want their uh, employees unionizing. Um, so he uh, brought that into the sweet science and, um, he, uh, um, his, in terms of his physical makeup, he seemed like, you know, designed for the ring in the sense that um, he was about six feet, six feet one, 
And the thing about him was he had this freakishly long reach. Um, and remember, there when they give those reach numbers, they always gave it, give it in wingspan. Uh, one of the things in the 80s that was kind of cool, and HBO started doing it for a while, um, Randy Gordon, who was the, at first he was a boxing commentator, and then he became New York State Athletic Commissioner, used something called Randy's Reach, where he would have the fighter um, extend their jabbing hand, and they'd measure from the shoulder to the knuckles. That would give you a much more accurate number as to what, how far, you know, his jab could hit or her jab could be. So when you see those numbers, you know, wingspan is what they're usually recording. But Liston's was 84 inches. Um, Tyson, just to give you an idea, that's a six foot one man, 84 inch reach. So he had extremely long arms and his jab was he was well known for just this power jab that was more like a pole axe that could just snake out and, you know, he could hurt you with a jab. And think about it. Tyson Fury, who's six, nine has an 85 inch wingspan. So that's one inch larger, just to give you an idea of um, the kind of distance he could be from you and still, you know, punch you with that jab. And not, not only that, but the amount of power that he had, and, and just take a look at this for a second. This is him against McMurray, which was a comeback fight after he had lost the title. And when he, uh, when he, when he knocks people out, he knocks them out cold. I mean, watch this knockout here. And even look Boom. At the and, and, too. And, and, you know, he's not utilizing his reach here. And then this next clip is going to be, you know, this is the second Patterson fight. Oof. And Floyd Patterson, uh, you know, was such a talented fighter. Um, but uh, um, look at this. I mean, the power, you know, we talk about 84-inch reach. But he's right there. He's right in the wheelhouse there, and he's landing full full extension on on uh, on those punches. Uh, amazing power um, for a guy. I I loved Sonny Liston, but go ahead. I didn't mean to. Uh, you're no, talking about cool. his reach, and 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 no, you know, and and he had. He's known uh, for one of the best jabs. As a matter of fact, I have a a photo of him jabbing uh, Ali right behind me. Um, known for his jab, but you know, I just showed. And before you came on, I, I showed a, another clip of his power. And, and the power was a thudding power, Alex. And, and you know, like when he landed, that's why I showed uh, those clips. You know, it's like these guys, they're out and they're falling through ropes. You know, I mean, they're not, you know, it's not like, wait, wait a minute. Was that a knockdown? <laughs> no, 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 no. It was a, that was a knockdown. All right. The guy doesn't know what day it is. Yeah, that is if somebody wants to see a good oh, sorry, a good example of um, just incredible, just bone crunching power. Um, watch it's on YouTube. This is the beauty, beauty of YouTube is uh, a lot of these old fights are, are, are they're on there for, you know, forever. Well, for as long as YouTube's around. Yeah. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, you could. Yeah, that Burt Whitehurst fight is just amazing. Uh, he absolutely brutalized him, and that would have been a knockout today. Um, it's very strange that it's not a knockout. It just shows you how the fight the fight game has changed. Um, not a knockout here. Wait, did, he, yeah. are you going to show a clip of that? Yeah, yeah this, this is the Whitehurst. This is the Whitehurst one. He knocks how, him right out of how, the ring. He's he, he's, he's out cold basically. I mean, come oh, on. Oh yeah. Well, even and before that, what? knockout. look, watch this shot. Boom, boom. Oh. Hey, he's, he's, 
how could you say that's not a knockout? Well, they no, they didn't call Oops. it a knockout because he actually climbs back and he pulls himself up to a standing position at like the count of nine and a half. Yeah. And the referee did not wave it off, but that was the final round. So it goes down as a decision victory. But yeah, nowadays they would not have counted. Um, they would not have made him get up from try to get up from that. They would have had the ambulance already back to the, you uh, know. Yeah, and I think they probably should have. And that fight, and that fight was in 1958. That was during the rise of Sonny Liston. That was before uh, he became champion. The, the other clip I showed of Sonny Liston totally, you know, brutalizing poor Floyd Patterson, that was the second time he had, he had already uh, beat him uh, prior to that when, yeah, when he, when he, when he won the title. That, I think that's the thing, is that if you look at, um, by the time he became champion, uh, his best days were over. Um, I really think that if you look at his prime, his prime was probably between 58 and 61. Um, yeah, and he, he doesn't get the shot at Floyd Patterson until 62. And part of that was because people didn't like, uh, even the NAACP didn't want him to get a shot because of his connections to organized crime. Um, it's funny because Floyd Patterson had met with uh, JFK and Kennedy even asked him, you know, when are you going to fight Sonny Liston? Um, and he made a promise to, to Kennedy that he would fight him. Um, but Kennedy was kind of like, yeah, maybe maybe he could avoid him. <laughs> because even Kennedy, you know, Kennedy and his brother, they didn't they fought a war against um, organized crime. That could be if you depending on whose theory you believe. Um, that could be why they ended up um, taking him out. Um, but yeah, but uh, custom custom motto also uh, yeah, really was instrumental. Yeah, instrumental in, in prolonging that fight. But but you know yeah, nineteen they they say from uh, you know 50, uh, 53 to fifty to sixty three. Those ten years was was uh, you know the beginning of his career and in, in his prime. But when you look at his record. Um, you know, he, he did fight on the way up. Uh, you know, I see a bunch of fights that he had against really good opposition, especially, you know, contenders in, in the heavyweight division at that time. You know, and, and you really start to see it. I mean, you could you could say the the uh, the, the Whitehurst uh, fight, but, but, you know, he was a journeyman, and, and he did what he was supposed to do. But um, he stepped, stepped it up in, in 1959 when he, when he fought Mike DeJohn, uh, won that fight, and then Cleveland Williams he fights uh, and beats Cleveland right. Williams. Um, right, right. You know, and then uh, you know back to back. Well, not quite back to back, but he sprinkled yeah, in a couple of other ones. Fifty nine, um, and then ones in, in sixty. But then Roy Harris and Zora Foley and Eddie Machen well, was also a huge fight. Machen was good, uh, and you know um, the two fights with Patterson and Westfall. I, I mean, you know, he did fight quality opposition on the rise and then when he was coming back um he fought some uh talented fighters as well um which most fighters today you know when they when they uh, you know make a comeback <laughs> one of the fighters admitted it on the the big show last week he says ah, it was a stay busy fight you know <laughs> you know which was cool because we all know that but you never really hear them say that you know uh, but but uh but Sonny didn't have that easy of a uh of a road back uh to uh to potentially get another shot 
until he lost, shockingly, I mentioned earlier, to Leotis Martin, which nobody thought that that was going to happen. Uh, but then he totally, practically killed Chuck Wepner in his last pro fight. Yeah, and uh, Jack Jack Newfield, the journalist, said that that was the <clears throat> excuse me that was the bloodiest fight he ever saw. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that yet, of course, Chuck Wepner's nickname was the Bayon Bleeder, and um, yeah, I think because yeah, if you look at 1959 and 1960, just uh, everybody he faced uh, were just the badasses of the day between Mike Dijon, Cleveland Williams, twice in two years. Uh, Roy Harris, Zora Foley, Eddie Macon. And uh, with the exception of Macon, he stopped them all. Um, and um, and then so and then, you know, Floyd Patterson, you know, I think it would have been interesting if um, we, we definitely like bad guys more. And there was a line. Here hey, let me throw let me throw you a curve real quick. Just forget Sonny for a minute. Eddie Machen, if I remember collect correctly, didn't he have some kind of weird death, like uh, like he he fell into a, a pool with no water, and they claimed that he was pushed? Did 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 you ever read that? Yeah, it, one of those guys. I'm thinking it was him. It, it was there was a book that that there was like ten really strange uh, deaths, and I'm almost I'm almost sure that that's what happened. He was kind of at a um, and and it was foul play suggested. Um, yeah, diving diving practice in a, in a that, pool. Of that usually water. doesn't that that usually doesn't work out too well. But uh, uh, anyway, go ahead, go ahead. Uh, but this this line was from uh, this is a um, it's from a uh, a interview uh, or actually this must yeah this must have been like a commemorative um, article. Yeah, this is just a few days after he died. It's called "Bad Guy of the Ring" by Steve Cady, and it was in the New York Times in January of seventy one. So. Yeah, and he died. They placed his death date. Um, they his wife found his body on January fifth, um, and of seventy one, and they placed. They figured he had been de dead five to eight days, so they placed his death at like December thirtieth of nineteen seventy. So, this article, January seventh, one of the things. Uh, this is a quote from Liston. It's called "Bad Guy of the Ring." A boxing match, this is Liston talking, a boxing match is like a cowboy movie, he once said. There's got to be good guys and there's got to be bad guys. That's what people pay for, to see the bad guys get beat. So I'm the bad guy, but I change things. I don't get beat. And I think that's the thing about, you know, especially when you look at the matchup between him and Floyd Patterson. Floyd Patterson, you know, these are both, this is America in the 50s and 60s, you know, America's, of course, it's racial history. There's no no secret. It's been, you know, complicated to say the least. Um, Patterson is sort of this Boy Scout. He's the sort of acceptable black guy, while uh, Liston is the scary black guy. He's connected to crime, and not just connected. He's a perpetrator of crime. Um, he was my hero. I, lo <laughs> I loved I think, him. <laughs> and in, in those days, it was different than today, where today, especially if you look at somebody, and I think unlike Mike Tyson, um, 
and Mike would have those moments, especially when his first his first incarnation, when he was first coming. Wait, out. wait, 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 wait. Let, let, it's like a Oliver Twist. Type I, let's let's just do that comparison real quick. And by the way, Eddie Machen did fall out of a, a window. Uh, I don't know if he actually uh, fell into a pool, but there was another one that did. But they don't know if it was oh, suicide. He I was suff he was suffering from uh, mental uh, problems. But anyway, um, out of a window, it has its own word. Well, it's they don't. They, they don't uh, know. They don't know if he jumped out, was pushed out. Uh, you know, but um, the the comparison with Tyson and Sonny Liston was made often when Tyson was coming up, and I think in retrospect now. When we get to look back at it, yes, Tyson was a mean guy. He was mean. He he went out there and and he and he did softy but, compared to Liston. But he was because we learned we learned that Mike Tyson eh, maybe he wasn't so mean. You know, like he had a, he was mean in the ring, but he had a real vulnerable, weaker side. You know, more human. You know, he he kind of he kind of he kind of taught us all that Mike Tyson wasn't this. This monster, he was human. He still did a lot of damage in the ring, but he was human. But Sonny Liston, he never got that chance to to convince us that he wasn't a mean, vicious man. And and you know the the you mentioned his his youth growing up and and the poverty and everything, uh, and you know he turned to crime. Uh, you know it almost sounds like a necessity. Not not that crime ever should. Crime does not pay, but uh, but you know the 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 truth of the matter is is he had a real bad relationship with authority, you know law, uh, cops and all of that, they, and they used to smack him around. I I know I know several stories where uh, you know they would pick him up, beat the hell out of him, and then dump him in the street. You know I mean uh, um, you know so the reason he hated them, he I guess he kind of had a good reason. Not that he wasn't you know, at fault to, to be in trouble to begin with, but it didn't help this guy, you know. Uh, and, yeah, uh, you saw those clips, the way he was punching, you know, a guy today with that extraordinary reach, and we know that he had a good jab, but could you imagine if he was a little more controllable in the ring and a little more refined uh, with, you know, today's uh, technique where he could utilize that arm reach, a little, maybe learn a little footwork, and then sprinkle in that power, it'd be tough to beat, Alex. Oh, I think, well, and I think when you look at how he's ranked by um, boxing uh, scholars and, um, you know, analysts, uh, if you go to Ibro's uh, all-time rankings, where did I, I wrote it down. Oh, yeah, Ibro's rankings, which they re redid them in 2019, he's listed as eighth all-time. Uh, so he's certainly given tremendous respect. Uh, personally, when I put in my ballot, I had him sixth. Um, yeah, I mean, he's tremendous. Um, you know, and I think that was like what I was saying there in terms of, I think he suffered, the, America was different. The media was very different. Um, you know, and he was not, like Mike Tyson was always, you know, with the some exceptions, because um, there's, and in even those times where he was, ornery and sullen with the media let me let me throw an analogy at you yeah, i'm gonna yeah, i like i like throwing you curves all right how about this jack johnson was the anti right i mean he was he 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 was shoving his his uh black skin in in front of everybody during a a time when 
the the country was very very prejudiced and then along comes joe lewis and they tell joe lewis no you got to be successful you got to be a, a good black guy you know and he was successful when sonny liston comes along could it be the same could we say that sonny liston was the bad black guy and ali was the good guy well, I think for a little while, yes. But then once Ali, um, you know, uh, refused to go um, into the uh, armed services, he was labeled a draft dodger. And, you know, at that point, um, you know, things changed how, for him. How, but, then it, but And I think that tells you something about it because America, you know, and, and this is not quite as true now, but it's still pretty true. Um, and and it, very much in sports is sports are seen in a binary way. You're either the good guy or the bad guy, and it's hard to shake well, that. Later. Well, check check out. Think, well, hold on one second. I think the thing about Mike Tyson is that that made him different is he was always much not always but quite often more talkative. Liston was more sullen. That's um, what made and, him scary. Yes, and I think. With with Mike Tyson, sometimes it was an act. With Liston, I don't think it was an act. And here, at, at this is at one point in that same Steve Cady article, and this is from his um, his wife Geraldine. Um, he was a not nice, thoughtful man. She called him. To others, he was intimidating in presence, a crude mouthed put down artist, fast to trump another man's statement with a piece of so called jailhouse wit. So he could be rough, um, to say the least. And I think that was the thing is, remember Mike Tyson, when he started off, his violent history was almost looked at as something cute. Um, he was very much this Oliver Twist figure who had had this horrible past and was discovered and adopted by this kindly white man who taught him how to channel that rage into the ring and make millions. Create that spark. Turn that spark to a flame and make it a roaring fire. Yes, and Liston really didn't have that. There was even a time where Liston um, beat up a trainer, um, you know, was seen kicking. And well, how, how about this? How about this photo? Sonny Liston and who's holding the bag? Joe Lewis. What was the relationship there? There's several. There's several connections between uh, Joe Lewis and Sonny Liston. I made the analogy before. You know, good cop, bad cop, basically. But but what's the story with this? I, you know, I, I think that they must have had. You know, I, I don't know how much of a friendship they had, but I think they definitely had a mutual respect. You definitely saw there's photos available where you see the two of them. And I think I thought I remember at one point um, reading somewhere that Liston thought of him as, you know, his favorite heavyweight champion. Yeah, I, I think you're right. Um, how about how about this shot I think with him and Foreman? That that's something that well, I, they, I would they, they eventually fought. Yeah, they had fought. I think it's according to Cyber Boxing Zone, four exhibitions. Well, wait a minute. When 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 Foreman was in between Olympics and turning pro, he was sparring Sonny Liston. That was that was the the thing. But check out this photo, Rocky Marciano. Oh wow! And but look at the look. Does that look like they're ready to fight right there in the hallway? <laughs> I mean, I mean, I you know, obviously, uh, you know, these photos are, are copywritten, but 
Um, I saw this shot and I said, I got to bring this one up because the look on both of their faces, you know, um, I, it looks like they, they're ready to throw down right now, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, that would have been a hell of a fight. Oh, I know, I know. I, I would definitely lean Liston's way. Um, but the thing and some of those clips you show, showed is that Liston, despite his long arms, he could brawl. And he could fight in close. Well, I think what uh, my point was, I don't think he was even taking advantage of that reach. Right, if so he was fight, that's why I was saying before, if he was fighting today, you would you would have to assume he would be utilizing that, right? Yeah. You, well, it, well, and he might not even have to because I'm not sure that the guys of today could stand up to his. Power. They wouldn't even get in the ring with him. What are we talking about? Yeah, and I think well, if he was in Saudi Arabia, he could have probably fought all those guys. It, um, so, you know. so the big thing you, we started talking. I know I'm forcing you to jump all around, but I like catching you off guard. Um, we were talking about the the death, right? So there's been a lot of stuff uh, written about that, and um, you know, it it seems to me um, that there was definitely shenanigans going on. Some interesting points. Um, the Devil and Sonny Liston was a book uh, that I absolutely loved, and some of the points made in that particular book. And we're gonna, I, I, we're gonna have Paul Gallander on here in a couple minutes. Uh, he wrote the uh, uh, the Sonny Liston book, the real story behind the Ali Liston fight. So we'll get to ask him the same stuff. But um, you know, the one couple of points that were made about the death and finding him, and you know, uh, the story that he OD'd and everything. Um, two things stuck out to me, Alex. One was that they said, oh, they uh, figured the time of death based on the newspapers that were uh, uh, stacked up outside. Um, Sonny Liston didn't know how to read. He, he was illiterate. So, I, I mean, would he still get newspapers to look at the pictures? I don't know. But the other thing is, is that the guy was deathly afraid of needles. They used to have to put him to sleep to take his blood for the, to test for the, for the fights, you know, and then we're, we're to believe that he OD'd by shooting him, shooting up, you know. So what's your thoughts on all of the conspiracy theories about uh, the death? You know, yeah, it does seem that, uh, it, you know, it's, it's definitely, it, it's unquestionably sad. Um, he died alone. Um, now, this is... Uh, January 20th, 1971, after the coroner's, uh, you know, report must have um, done the toxicology. Um, they said that he, that the cause of death is lung congestion brought on by poor oxygen and nutrient blood supply to the heart muscles. Clark County coroner Mark Herman, Herman ruled there had been traces of morphine and codeine were found in the body tissues, but not in sufficient amounts to have caused death. Um, they, they would, they were consistent with the normal amounts that would normally result from a breakdown of heroin in the body. So yeah, that idea that he had been shooting up heroin and died and OD'd, but it doesn't sound like, it doesn't sound like there was enough that he had OD'd. Um, so maybe he was just not very fit. Um, I don't know. I'd be interested to hear the kind of research that um, Paul has done about it, because I'm sure he Well, he, he was kind of fit, because it wasn't long after the Chuck Webner fight. Right. Well, but he, you know, I mean, who is that? Uh, uh, you know, it's when when you're older, um, you know, and you, you hear somebody drops dead 
over 40. Yeah. Oh, I used to tell you it's that. Surprising, that, that you know? that, it's not too surprising. The, um, the older and, you get, a guy dies at 90. He had his whole life in front of him, you know? Right. Yeah. But I mean, because he had been, he had the trouble with the legal trouble not too long before this. He had been arrested for drunk driving. So, you know, I mean, I think that um, he might not have been in the most tremendous shape uh you're right i mean he might he was in the midst of a comeback but why would why would he why would uh the so-called mob if it did exist um why would why would they want him whacked you know i mean what he do something you know i don't know um well he made that he 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 was a he was a pawn for them he was uh he he worked for them he was part of it you know i mean what you know um yeah. No well. matter what, it's a very sad death to, to think, you know, he was all alone in an apartment and then not found for days. Um, you know, this guy is a former heavyweight champion. He made he, he came from absolute poverty and made over almost four million dollars over his career, um, you know, ballpark. Back then, that's a hell of a lot of money. Um, and I think, you know, that if you think about it, those absolute demolitions of Floyd Patterson, um, he was frightening. And like we had said, it was almost like his coronation came after we had seen the best of him. And then unfortunately, he happened to, to run into a, a young young man from Louisville who turns out to be the baddest there ever was. Um, and I think... I don't know. To me, that's what there's a lot of controversy about those two fights. I don't find them controversial. The first one, I think it was definitely legitimate. The second one, I think, was more just a plain um, Liston was not in the greatest of shape. Um, he gets put down, flash knockdown from a right hand. And then Jersey Joe Walcott blows it, uh, the referee. No um, doubt. If you, if you even watch that. Liston gets up and they keep fighting. I know. Then they wave it off. I know. And Walcott, yeah, he get he finds he finds out from the ringside ref ref that you know it's it's over. He counted ten. Then he goes over and stops it. So you know, you know the the both of those fights and and I'm we're gonna really put Paul on the, on the hot seat uh, if if he uh, clicks the link correctly. But uh, um, you know the truth of the matter is is you can make an argument on both those fights. You know, you know how many people, including Chuck Wepner, who fought Ali, um, said there's no way in hell that he could have beaten Sonny Liston uh, either time. You know, and, and, and you say, OK, we know that we've seen uh, these guys with, uh, uh, you know, uh, great boxing skill and stuff uh, take out the, the, the brawler uh, and bully. But uh, but but I, I don't I, I don't know I don't know but uh, skills, skills in boxing very often beats will, and even though in the movies you like to think oh there's nothing better than will, um, I think the thing and personally this happened when I realized this and it was a very difficult night was the night Roy Jones smoked James Tony. Uh, I really was rooting hard for James Tony, and he just had never seen anything so fast and so skilled. And whatever else was going on, you know, it was tough making the weight, all those things. On that night, it was Roy Jones's night. And I think that was the thing. It can be when you, especially if you're a brutish guy, because remember, Liston dislocates his shoulder from missing. 
The other thing is that Cassius Clay at that point was not small. He was a big, strong heavyweight, a little bit smaller, a little bit lighter, hell of a lot faster. And he frustrated the living hell out of him. And to me that, and not only that, but just the buildup to that fight, psychologically pick, 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 pick every day. He would show up at his house uh, with the bus in the middle of the night and harangue him from the front lawn. No, I, um, hey, hey, listen, it's all part of it. But I think, um, I, think, I, um, I, I think that first one was legit. And I think that's why, um, you know, Muhammad Ali was just, uh, as Mike Tyson has called him, he was like a Tyrannosaurus Rex. Well, I tell you, an, an expert on this, uh, Mr. Paul Gallander, he wrote a book about it specifically uh, talking about these uh, two fights, Alex. And uh, we have the luxury of uh, having uh, Mr. Gallander, and he's uh, on our show right now. Um, can you hear us okay, Paul? I certainly can. Can you hear me? Yes, 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 yes. Uh, glad you could join us. I appreciate it. Um, I know uh, it was uh, a long time coming. I know we, we had tried to get you on sooner, but... Um, so tell us, tell us about the book. We just, what a great time to, to, to come in because we were just talking about uh, the Ali listing fights. Uh, what's the story on, on both of these fights? Uh, I think we're having trouble with his connection, Alex. Yeah, it looks like um, it. So Buffering, buffering. Yeah. Paul, if you can hear me, um try and uh reboot and and uh connect again um but uh anyway uh it was uh hopefully we can uh we can get him back <laughs> uh but uh yeah it would be interesting to see i i i i didn't think that uh, i i look ali you got to give ali credit um for for his whole career i mean i'm not going to slight him at all uh, it's just that all the people that seem like they were in the know um, right there at that time um, on the pulse of, of boxing, on um, professional boxing or in the sport, all kind of say the same thing. They all, they're all shocked. Are they just not giving Ali uh, the credit with credits due or, or what? I think, I think that that kind of thing happens when um, – when something that people didn't expect occurs and i think today especially now with um just this week um where you see uh what in did hey um, alex let's let's see i think we got paul back. back let's see um paul can you hear us now you got me all right good 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 yeah uh, um, yeah um so uh we we had asked you uh, to give us a little uh uh story on these two fights were they legit what's the story the first one was legit. Um, Sonny walked into a trap uh, in that first fight, and uh, he had four things going against him. One was his age, and I'm convinced that Sonny was probably 44 years old at the time of that first fight, which is twice as old as Muhammad, as then Cassius Clay. Uh, but the main three factors he had going against him is that, first of all, uh, Cassius's previous two fights were against uh, Doug Jones and Henry Cooper, 
185 pound heavyweights, both really journeymen, and he looked not good in both of them. So nobody, basically nobody except for a few uh, uh, savvy people realized that he really had some talent. And nobody in Liston's camp thought he, that he needed to even train very hard. And he didn't. He trained for a two or three round fight. Complicating that was the fact that he had an injured left shoulder going into the match. Um, as it turned out, he was undergoing uh, secret uh, physical therapy heat treatments for two or three weeks prior to the fight. The physical therapist was Barney Felix, who ended up refereeing the fight. The other factor was, like when you were saying in the, in the intro, that uh, Clay went to his home in Denver and woke him up at 12 in the morning, at midnight, and woke up the entire neighborhood. Uh, he so angered Sonny that Sonny wanted nothing more than to kill him, and almost maybe even literally kill him. Um, he wanted to do away with him as quickly as he could. And so he fought angry. And every good fighter, whether it be Dempsey or Lewis or even Ali, will tell you, if you fight angry, you're, you don't fight your fight. If you don't fight your fight, you fight the other guy's fight, you're at a disadvantage and you're probably going to lose. And he did. I think just by looking at the fight, you can see that he's not trying to throw it, especially in the fifth round when that substance got into Clay's eyes. And it wasn't from Liston's gloves. It was from the cut on his, on his cheek or from his shoulder, which was giving him trouble for the entire fight. In fact, Angelo Dundee, when, Ali came, when Clay came back to the corner, he could still see. Dundee put his sponge, like he always does, on the forehead and wiped down. Clay uh, had what we called cobra vision, where he kept his eyes open almost all the time, even when he was being punched. So it got into his eyes. Dundee says to Felix, there's something wrong here. Go check his gloves. He walked over to Liston's corner. He smelled his gloves. He comes back and he says, no liniment, Angie. Okay, so in the fifth round, when he's basically blinded somewhat, Liston is snorting like a horse, uh, Clay said. And he's really trying to kill him. He's trying to take him out. If he's trying to throw the fight, he's not doing that. And I know it was written that he and Ash Resnick had uh, won a million dollars at seven to one odds, which is ridiculous for two reasons. One, Sonny never had $150,000 at that point in order to be able to place a bet. And if the mob said they were gonna bet $150,000 for him so he would win a million dollars, there would be no reason for them to give him. No, that's not the way the mob operated. I also talked with Ash Redmick's wife and said, that she could tell by the look on his face, on Ash Resnick's face, that he lost a lot of money on that. And in fact, um, Lem Banker, who's a good friend of Sonny's, a good friend of Ash Resnick's, and he was a bookie in Las Vegas, he said that right before the fight, uh, Ash bet $10,000 on Liston. He said uh, Lem wasn't quite so sure that it was a sure thing, so he he took 5000 and laid off the other 5000 So. That's a long way of saying, no, I don't think the first fight was fixed. Well, um, the second I, fight. Yeah, okay, so tell, okay, so you don't think the first fight was fixed. So you think Lund, uh, Sonny Liston just had enough between his shoulder and, and being out of shape, uh, sat, stayed on his stool. 
uh, you know, one of the worst things well, you could do. His manager stopped the fight, Billy. His manager stopped the fight because he really could not use his left arm. In fact, when Angelo Dundee, after the fight, walked over to Liston's corner to, you know, to give his condolences or whatever, as, as they usually do, he heard Liston saying, it feels like there's water in my glove. He's wailing. Dundee said he was wailing. Hmm. So he was severely injured. Hmm. Eight commissioned doctors examined him, and the following day they said there is unmistakable evidence of, of severe damage to his left shoulder that would have prevented him from continuing to the, the fight. You know, so, it's funny yeah, that... that going out there... That I, I, that you know, it was never. I've never heard it point. You're. I'm hearing the first time how like statistically and and data backed. Um, that was. I, I've never heard that. I I had always heard he was criticized for quitting on the stool. Well, I mean, technically he quit on the stool. He didn't get up and fight for the uh, go out for the seventh round. But he didn't quit. His manager. Yeah. Right. Jack Nyland stopped the fight. Right, right. Now the second uh, fight, he, he turned, he waved. The second fight, he you, said he can't go on. He broke his shoulder. Yeah. Hey, hey, listen. It happens all the time today, you know. And uh, well, uh, nobody gives, nobody cuts him the 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 BS that they've cut him over all these years. But uh, tell us about the second fight. Why do you think that one was uh, wasn't real? Well, the second fight. Uh, history would be different right now. You wouldn't be talking to me right now if the originally scheduled match had gone off as planned on Monday, November 16th, 1964. Sonny had trained harder than he had ever trained. He was down to like 208. He was, he was even thinner than he had ever been. Archie Moore saw him train just before the fight, and he says if he's in that condition, he didn't see then Muhammad Ali lasting more than five rounds. Howard Cosell said the same thing. He had never seen him train so hard. Sonny, the money was important, but it meant a lot to him to be champion. So what happens? He's ready. He takes a walk with his wife after dinner on uh, Friday, November 13th, 1964. And Sonny was a very superstitious person. And he comes back from the walk, and I can only imagine how hopeful they were that he was going to get his title back and everything was going to be great. And he's greeted by Harold Conrad, the publicist, and his trainer, Willie Reddish. And they say, uh, the fight's been called off. Um, Ali suffered a hernia. He's in the hospital. He's being operated on. And at first, th Sonny thought it was one of his tricks. Um, but it wasn't, obviously. And he said, shit. You know, why did, why did this have to happen after all the hard training was done? And here's an old man. Here's a guy who's, at that point, I'm almost positive he's at least 45 years old. And he had trained like crazy. One of the, the misconceptions about Sonny Listen is that he didn't train hard. He trained hard for all but two fights. The second Patterson fight, because he realized he really didn't have to, and he, was, he already had a couple of injuries going into that fight. And then the first Ali fight, the clay fight. So it's postponed. It's not going to take place for another six, six months. At the time of the postponement, Ali wasn't in the best shape of his life. He had gone to Europe. He had got um, uh, the Middle East, where he was honored and got the greatest reception any American has Yeah, he's breaking up again. 
Um, okay, I'm back now. Yeah, we get where your 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 connection is is uh, going in and out. It looks like we lost you again. Um, unfortunately, uh, if you can hear me, if you could get back to us, that would be great. Some great stuff going on, uh, Alex, with uh, Paul. And uh, I'll tell you, I told you that this guy was an expert on Sonny Liston. And uh, I, I, I honestly, you know, I feel like a jerk because I had never heard that, you know, his corner stopped it. And, and I'll be honest, I, I knew that, you know, he had uh, some shoulder uh, issues, but I didn't realize that the injury was so severe. Yeah, and you know, I think that that uh, the other aspect that to me was interesting was how angry he was, and that reminds me of something that I remember Marlon Starlin always saying that um, the worst thing that could happen in a boxing match is a fight breaks out, and um, because you want to be emotionless uh, and just work your strategy, if you're upset and full of emotion, then it's you're seeing red. All right, and I when think you're seeing red, you're not functioning right. So that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, let's hope that uh, we got uh, Paul back. How you how you yeah, doing I mean, now? There we go. There we go. Oh, you okay. you you got us drooling here. It's like you're doing it on purpose, almost, <laughs> Paul. You know. Uh, but uh, go ahead. I, I you know I was just telling Alex. You know, I, I I feel stupid because I had never realized the severity of of Sonny Liston's injury at, um, during that first fight, but. Uh, so he, this fight, the second fight gets postponed. He has to wait six months, and he just he couldn't get right. back into the training, or what? What happened? Like what? What made him? No, he trained. Oh, okay, okay. He trained. Uh, Ferdy Pacheco said that an old you can't train an old body like a uh, um, like a young like a young man. And he says, and if you overtrain, you're dead. Well, he was in real good shape just two or three days prior to the fight. Uh, which had been moved to Lewiston, Maine, because Boston, it was a political move. Um, they, um, they made sure the fight couldn't be held. So 20 days before the fight, there was no home for it. And they finally got the home of Lewiston, Maine, which is, has a, a history of a, of a fight town. It was a town of 40,000 people. Uh, and it, it, the fight was held in a, in, in a hockey rink. Uh, all of 2,300 people showed up uh, for the fight. A couple of days before... Come on. A couple of days before the fight, uh, two members of the Nation of Islam come to Liston's training camp, put a gun to his head, and say, you've got to lose this fight. Or else. Or else we'll kill you. Um, Sonny would not throw a fight for if he was threatened, he would be afraid. He would never throw a fight for money. Can you hear me now? Stop. Yeah, no, I can hear you now. Okay. okay. So on the morning of the fight, um, he leaves his suite at the Poland Spring Inn. And shortly after he leaves there, um, a group of Nation of Islam members, unbeknownst to Muhammad Ali, knock on the door and say, hi, Mrs. Liston, we're gonna stay with you for a while. So they basically kidnap his wife and his son, who was, uh, it was an adopted son who was with them. Uh, and they, and um, they tell Sonny later, uh, you have to, we have your wife and your son, and if you don't lose the fight, you won't see them again alive. Now, I know this 
because I found that out the first time from Ash Resnick's wife, Marilyn, who I interviewed in Las Vegas. And um, she said she was worried all morning because she was trying to get in touch with, with Geraldine Liston and she wasn't picking up her phone. And around noon, she runs across Joe Lewis's wife, Martha Malone Lewis, and tells her, I'm worried, uh, Martha, I, uh, I can't get in touch with, with Geraldine. And Martha says, don't you know what happened? The black Muslims have her and the boy, and Sonny's got to lose the fight if he ever wants to see them again. Now, she would have found that out from Joe Lewis, Joe Lewis, her husband. If there was one person that Sonny would have confided in, it would have been Joe Lewis. So Marilyn told me that. She would have no reason to lie. Um, and I, I later got confirmation of that uh, from his sparring partner, Gary Bates, and then um, um, uh, a Facebook friend of mine, David DiCarlo, who, who's from Ohio, he went to a number of um, International Boxing Hall of Fame weekends. Um, and he would talk to Emil Griffith a lot. Emil Griffith was a good friend of Sonny Liston's. And Emil told him the same thing. And Emil told him that when Sonny told him that when he knew he had to lose the fight, he decided to make it the worst looking fix of all time which he did, which was an unfortunate decision because he, it looked so bad that nobody wanted any part of Sonny Liston anymore. He, his reputation might have survived a little bit, but for the fact that Jersey Joe Walcott could not control Muhammad Ali. And the only person who can conduct a count is the referee. And so there never was a count. And you can see Listens on on the ground. He's you know he he wants to be counted out, but there's no count. If you remember, he tries to get up. He gets up on one knee, and then as if he has a bout of vertigo, he falls over again, which is really the worst part of that fix. Um, and uh, so the the fight actually was it was stopped by Nat Fleischer, who called Jersey Joe Walcott over to the corner and said, "The bum is out. The fight is over." The, he's been counted out. Well, they, he hadn't been counted out. Uh, and then technically they resumed fighting. Sonny raised his hands. He did not throw a punch. He wanted out of the ring. He wanted to see his family again. And, um, you know, it, it, it's hard for me to have a conversation with anyone who thinks that that fight was legitimate. Now, I'm not saying that people who think that fight was legitimate don't know anything about boxing, but they know nothing about Charles Sonny Liston. Have you ever watched the, the fights between Cleveland Williams and Sonny Liston? Yeah, yeah. We, we were showing some clips oh, before. Yeah. Not that, not those, but, you know, oh, just showing God. the talent and the power that this man had. He took some shots from Cleveland Williams, who back in 1959 and 1960 was in his prime. If the Cleveland Williams of 1959 had fought the Muhammad Ali of 1966, that would have been a good fight. I'm not saying Cleveland Williams would have won, but he would have had a good chance of winning that fight because, like Sonny said, he punched hard and he punched fast. And he hit Sonny with some shots that didn't even buckle Sonny's knees. And if he could take Sonny, the Cleveland Williams' shots, you're trying to tell me that an off-balance six-inch right-hand punch is going to knock down arguably the toughest man ever to enter a ring? It's wow. preposterous. No, you know, I. Anyone who maintains. Yeah, anyone and who maintains. 
the way he rolls yeah, around, it does look like he's oh. he's he's acting. He, he wants to be counted out. Mm -hmm. That was the plan. So so um, let me let me let me let me ask you this, Paul. A after that, and and you, you made a point uh, before. You said you know nobody wants any part of him, but he bucked the odds and and he he started a comeback that was successful after after that fight. And uh, you know up until um, you know he he had gotten stopped by uh, Leotis Martin, which was kind of a shocking uh, fight. He was he was dominating, and 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 then he came back with. You know, practically destroying uh, Chuck Webner. I mean, it looked, for all intent and purposes, that he was heading back in in the right direction. Well, yeah, yeah. Um, he didn't fight anywhere for a, a little over a year after the the fight in Lewiston, and then he could only get fights in Sweden. He fought four times, and he knocked out four guys. It wasn't until the summer of '68 that he got licensed in California. Or, or, and I think Nevada, that he was able to fight in the United States. And in this, I think it was in July of 1968, he beat, he beat really severely a rated heavyweight by the name of Henry Clark. He won every round. Clark didn't come out for the eighth round. Um, and it was, it, it was kind of unfortunate that they, there was that heavyweight elimination tournament that they held after they had stripped Muhammad Ali of his title, unfairly, of course. And Sonny was head and shoulders better than any of the eight fighters in there. I mean, one of the fighters was uh, was Floyd Patterson, and Floyd Patterson almost won the whole tournament. Well, we all we already know, you know, how what he did against Sonny Liston. I mean, he couldn't. He never saw two minutes and eleven seconds of either fight. Fight, and I remember watching that, and I felt so bad for Sonny Liston because it was a shock. But he took that fight on two weeks' notice. He was in um, in Arizona filming a spot for uh, on on Love American Style, I believe. And George Foreman uh, said he had a cold that he couldn't shake. And, and Len Banker told me the same thing. And Sonny would not train between fights. Uh, he would always walk, but until he had a fight, he wouldn't go into the gym. So he had two weeks to train. He goes into the ring uh, with, a, uh, with still a, a fairly severe cold, and he's winning the fight through seven rounds. But he can't breathe through his nose anymore, so he spits out his mouthpiece. And then he gets caught with a right hand and then a left right, and he goes down. Uh, and, and that's what a real knockdown and a real knockout looks like, not what like what happened in Lewiston, Maine. Yeah. Yes, then he fought Chuck Wepner. Chuck Webner took the beating of his life. Chuck Webner said he's fought a lot of people. He fought Foreman. He fought Ali. He fought he fought some big hitters. He said nobody hit me the way that Sonny Liston did. And Sonny at that point is probably fifty one years old, Jeez. so he still had his punch. At that point, could he have beaten Joe Frazier in nineteen seventy? I don't know. You know, the youth usually prevails. If they had fought in nineteen sixty eight, I think Frazier would have had a chance, but. Sonny with that 68-inch reach and that jab, uh, that, uh, excuse me, that 84-inch reach and that jab, I mean, he could, could control his fights with it. And he always did. You know, he, he said, I jab to hurt. That's all. And he, he did. Said, I fight my fight. He did. I always fight my fight. Hey, hey Paul, we're running out of time, but I got to ask you, 
So what's your thoughts on, on Sonny Liston's death? There's so many things swirl around it. Um, I, I mean, uh, was it drug-related? Uh, what happened, in your opinion? I know exactly what happened. Um, this is my book. I just published last year uh, a second edition of it, Sonny Liston, The Real Story Behind the Ali Liston Fight. Well, is, that a different, is, that, is that different? That this, that's the, the same one, right? Did I, that, yeah, is that a hardcover yeah. or a paperback? This is a hard copy. Okay, the paperback, which is sale now, and it it's got updates, uh, especially on 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 how Sonny died. Oh, you got to send me a copy of that. Yeah. I, that's that's uh, okay. Go ahead, tell me how. Yeah. Um. Uh, Sonny's uh, Sonny's um. Uh, a wife and an adopted child, Danielle, flew to um, St. Louis for the holidays. I, I believe Geraldine's father was not well, and Sonny and Geraldine weren't getting along that well. Sonny was kind of out of control at that point. Um, he was doing whatever he could to make a living, and you know, fights are hard to come by. Um, Johnny Toko, the, the, his good friend and, uh, and trainer, he knew him back in, in St. Louis in the early 50s, uh, he invites Sonny to uh, his New Year's Eve party, and Sonny says he'll be there. Um, Geraldine is calling Sonny, he hasn't heard from him since like the 28th of December. So uh, Johnny Toko uh, calls Sonny at midnight because he hasn't come to his New Year's Eve party. And then he calls him again at two o'clock in the morning and there's no answer on the phone. Following morning, uh, Geraldine calls Toko and says, I'm worried, I haven't heard from Sonny in days. Johnny Toko goes over to his house. Um, the door's locked, his car's in the driveway there and he can't get in, but he's worried. So he calls people he knows, I, I'm not sure if it's the police department or the sheriff's department. They gain entry to the house. The living room area, is in total disarray. There's been an epic fight there, evidently. They found Sonny uh, with a needle sticking out of his arm and a house in disarray. Um, uh, Johnny is upset and he leaves. Um, the day before, um, Sonny's housekeeper, who also was a housekeeper for Lem Banker, had on New Year's Eve day, had gone over to clean the house. And she had a key. She opened the door. The smell, well, there was no smell yet, but she saw Sonny, who was dead. She called Lem and told him what happened. He said, just leave, lock the door, don't do anything. So nobody called the police. Johnny Toko leaves. And um, there's no word of, of his death until Geraldine gets home on the night of January the 5th which is a good week after Sonny was murdered. Um, so um, she calls a number of people, doesn't call the police. Paul, Paul, because, Paul I, mean, I, got, I got to interrupt you for a second. I just want to make sure I'm following this. Are you saying that he, his body was discovered prior to it being announced that he was dead? Did we just? It, oh, can, it froze. Oh gosh, right. It, <laughs> These cliffhangers. I know. <laughs> it's cliffhangers, right? Oh, Paul, call back. I knew you. 
There, there we go. Okay. Okay. All right. <laughs> Did you hear the? <laughs> it's like a. This is like a, a a whodunit show we got going on. Every time I try to get an answer, we we freeze up here. But um, are you I saying? Know. Are you saying well, that? Timing. Uh, yeah. Are you saying? <laughs> yeah. It's 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 uh, adding to the mystique. Are are you saying that his body was discovered prior to the announcement of his of his death? Yes. Lem Baker told me that Marilyn Stevenson, I read, I, I'm, I'm not sure if or not, I forget her last name, but his housekeeper opened the door, saw his, saw his dead body with a needle sticking in his arm, called Lem, and Lem told her to leave. The following day, at the request of Geraldine Liston, Johnny Toko goes over there, okay. can't get in, calls the police, and sees the, the house in disarray, and Sonny is dead. When Geraldine gets home, the house is perfectly in order. It stinks like hell. And Sonny's in his bedroom propped up on, a, on this bench, uh, and there's no needle in his arm. Mm. And his body is badly decomposed. It's been decomposing for almost a week. Wait a minute. What did the police do when they were there? They closed the door? Well, I think what happened is um, the, the sheriff at the time... I forget his name offhand. He was a real tough guy. He was a real tough man. Nobody fucked with that sheriff. And he called the mob, and, and I'll tell you how I know why it was the mob in a second. And he said, look, um, you can't, if you're going to kill somebody, uh, if you want to, you know, we don't want to have to investigate this murder. You need to clean up this house because otherwise it's going to be a big investigation. Wow. So... So between January 1st and January 5th, they cleaned up the house. Now, I know it was um, a murder because a man in 2015, I think, the son of a mobster, uh, published a book where he said his father, who he had been estranged from for 30 years, about a year before he died, they reconnected, and he told him he was there the, day, the night that they killed Sonny Liston. And he said there were six or seven of them there. And evidently what happened, is I, and I think uh, the, the, the day before the fighter, or before the day he died or the day before he died, uh, a man delivered uh, some heroin at Sonny's request to his house for the two white junky woman, women who were with him. And because he, he, was, he, he was with those women a lot. And I think one of them betrayed Sonny, maybe left the door open. And Sonny put up a, a, the fight of his life and finally succumbed. And once they had him succumbed, they injected him with an overdose of heroin. As Johnny Toko said, he'd probably give him enough heroin to kill, to kill five people. Um, uh, I have since learned from some sources in Nevada that it was probably in retribution his murder was probably in retribution for Sonny not throwing the Wepner fight six months earlier, six months to the day, actually. And because um, uh, they thought they had a deal. They were going to give Sonny $7,000, which was in addition to the $13,000 purse that he was getting to fight Chuck Wepner. The mob was grooming Wepner, and they had a big fight scheduled for him in Madison Square Garden, but it was based on him beating a named fighter like Sonny Liston. Like I say, Sonny Liston would never throw a fight for money, but they thought he was going to throw it. I forget the name of the mobster. Um, 
he comes in at in the dressing room after the fight with uh, a couple of his henchmen and he throws an envelope with seven thousand dollars at Sonny's chest and it falls to the ground and they say look n-word uh, the next if we ever see you again you're a dead man Sonny was so scared uh, that he left the dressing room basically in his robe and he left behind his his boxing shoes and his cup which are the two things that a guy that a, that a boxer keeps with him for his entire life you know if they work there's no reason to change them mm. and um so it, it's fairly common knowledge uh, amongst people in new jersey although they don't talk about it except amongst themselves that that's how that's how and why sonny liston died and i believe that was the case now you know the thing about sonny Liston, his whole life is the damn mystery billy uh you know when was he born how old was he what happened in the first ali fight what happened in the second ali fight and, uh, and what happened when he died? What I find is really tragic is the two th things about him that most people want to know is one, what happened when he died? You know, did he commit suicide? Was he a junkie? Um, was he killed? And what happened, you know, in, in the second in the, in the Ali rematch? You know, they asked the question, but nobody wants to know the answer. It's what's going on is that, you know, Ali fans, and I was a big Ali fan. I was a huge Ali fan. He's the guy who got me interested in boxing from the time he won the Olympics in 1960 until 1978 when he lost to Sphinx. And I go, come on, please, please retire. And that's when I took it upon myself. I just had an epiphany that, Jesus, Sonny Liston, because I started doing some, some reading. Uh, apart from Muhammad Ali, I didn't think there was any fighter then, and I don't think that there's been any fighter since, who in, at his best had a reasonable chance of beating him other than Muhammad Ali. So, um, you know, it's, he's unfairly maligned. People misunderstand the guy. Was he a saint? No. But if you met the man, you would have liked him. And if you knew you, he would have done anything for you. And uh, so, you know, what I've tried to do is set the record straight about Sonny Liston. He wasn't a bad guy. And, and you know, there's no shame in losing to, to Muhammad Ali. But... You know, he did not get knocked out. And anyone who thinks that, you know, please don't try and have a conversation with him. Right. I mean, to to maintain that Sonny Liston was knocked down or out by that six-inch punch by Muhammad Ali in Lewiston, Maine, is tantamount to claiming that if Abraham Lincoln were alive today, he'd still be a republic. He'd still be a Republican. <laughs> in other words, it could it could not happen. Right. It could not happen. Paul, yeah, I, I mean, he fell down. It looked like it looks like he's giving a demonstration. No, yeah, <laughs> no, I know it was it was yeah. bad. But uh, yeah. Paul, uh, did I lose you again? Uh, well, uh, I I don't know if you can hear me, but I, I wanted to thank you uh, for for coming on and and uh, enlightening us with uh, uh, some of this stuff because uh, you've you've definitely uh, taught me some things today and changed uh, my mind. And I and I hope you are hearing me because I'd like to get you back on the show, uh, and uh, we'll get you a much better connection. I don't know what uh, you're connecting with, but uh, hopefully we'll get him uh, something better. But uh, Paul Gallinger, get his book. Uh, I got the hard copy uh, of his book right here, and he just said he released the paperback version. Uh, it's called Sonny Liston: The Real Story Behind Ali uh, and Liston Fights. Uh, Paul Gallander, 
uh, great, uh, great interview there, Alex. Uh, Absolutely uh, tremendous. Man. And from what he said, it sounds like um, he was good friends with Joe Lewis because if they're wise. That was the last thing I wanted to ask him. Yeah. You know, I wanted to ask him, hey, you know, because I, I, I never realized that. And then I was going to slip in the question. Well, we all know that Joe Lewis had a heroin problem, too, towards the end. Uh, could that have been, um, you know, could Sonny have done it? I mean, he said that he had gotten some for for the floozies he was hanging yeah, with. Yeah, sounds like he had a woman problem. Well, yeah. Maybe not a problem. That, that, like was, that was that was the case. That was he, the case. He was enjoying the holidays on his own. No, that, his wife and kid were away. Yeah, no, that was that was the case. But uh, anyway, uh, Alex, I... That's, and, and that is awful uh, to think that, um, you know, that history... I, I don't know, because even myself, I had no idea about, um, you know, that they his wife and kids were uh, being threatened. Um, I, I didn't know. I, I didn't know that. That That's like, that's out of a I movie. You got to read this book. Yeah. No, no. I, I, it's, it's good. Oh, I got to read. I want to, I want to hear it. I'm, you know, I, I've always been uh, interested in, in uh, the death of, of Sonny Liston because of all the different rumors, but uh well, and it, it makes sense because if you watch, it does almost look like. Oh, wait, I got, it looks like I got Paul again. We'll, 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 uh, we'll see if we can get him on. Because it does almost, the way he's rolling around on the ground from that, uh, the anchor punch, it does look like he's pantomiming. Paul, can you um, hear us? That makes a hell of a lot of sense to me. You there, Paul? Paul, can you hear me? All right. Um, like I said, if you can hear me, I, we appreciate you coming on. I'm going to reach out to you. We'll get you back on. I'll uh, we'll figure out what uh, what this uh, connection problem is. Um, it sounds like uh, it might be his connection speed. But uh, anyway, Alex, I appreciate you coming on. And uh, Thanks you know, lot, yeah, I, I hope that uh, I hope that you can uh, join us again. I know your schedule's tight, but uh, for everybody out there, make sure you subscribe to this channel. Don't forget the podcast. We will be back uh, Thursday, the, uh, January 4th, uh, the kickoff 2024, our 21st year, uh, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Be there. Until then, ciao, baby.